You say your burden is easy, and uh, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Which means there is a yoke and there is a burden, but it's easy and light. I pray this morning, this will bring ease and lightness to the call rather than heaviness. And so where we have carried the heaviness of pain, of ministry, disappointment in Jesus' name, would you remove that even now? Lift our heads, eyes, ears, hearts towards you. Come King Jesus and have your way in us, we pray. We worship you in this place this morning. Our hands are raised in adoration and fresh surrender. It's no greater thing than to surrender to our great King. That's where we find victory in the kingdom, at that place of surrender. It's not weakness, it's victory. And we want to keep coming back to that. We give you praise, King Jesus, in your glorious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, friends. Let's take our seats. All right, so, isn't it interesting how we can't sit down without talking? It's brilliant, isn't it? I always get nervous to ask people to stand because they talk and then they sit and they talk. Yeah, it's almost like we believe in relationship here, huh? So I'm trying to get somewhere and obviously going nowhere. But I also realize we've got two and, a, two and a half days together and it's not what I have to say. It's what God's saying. I realize we all have something we believe God has said, is saying. And we want to hear from you guys later on. Some guys we'll hear from and so on. But, but I just, as I said, been praying much for this time, for this season. Well aware. I think I've taken things way more seriously. I've always taken them seriously. But given the nature, you never know what's going to happen next. Let's make sure. We're doing what we can to hear God. And so we're trying to kind of go somewhere but willing to go wherever He wants because there's a huge variety of people in this room and we know that God's adjusting and changing and addressing. And the things that we respond to, know this, have ramifications for the people that God's called us to lead as well as the people God's called us still to reach. And so it's essential that we adjust accordingly before we go and tell others to do Likewise. And so I hope you're open to that. You're willing, you're trusting, and I appreciate just the response thus far. It's not been hard here at all. You guys are open. It's wonderful to preach to people who want to hear. Uh, please stay like that. All right. Thank you. Please. So that dream I was reminding you of that Ken Grenfell had, and quickly I just want to give you, you know the dream. I won't go there. We'll end up preaching there again. But so in 2020, and many of you heard me, maybe if you heard me in 2020, I wasn't, wouldn't, it would have been through Zoom, if anything. But before, and I know God doesn't work in calendar years, yes, but I, I do believe God has seasons. So God of seasons, if you don't believe that, just look outside. Seasons matter, and God doesn't work by calendar years, but we need to know what God's doing in seasons. And so I've always said, okay, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? And so in 2019, I, I began to ask God, oh, 2020, here we go. We're going to have our global equip, and we're going to celebrate 40-something years, and What's on the agenda? And everyone, 2020, vision, you know, we had all these great gimmicks and tricks and how did that work out? Anyway, <laughs> and I thought the Lord said it's going to be a season of release. And let me tell you, that excited me. Release. I mean, just think of what that means. Backing of heaven, every resource we need, people, finances, doors open. Here we go. Are you ready? So I traveled, I had, the, I had the privilege of going to Australia in February of 2020, New Zealand, and, and I was able to declare to all the leaders and the pastors and the churches, season of release. Everyone's like, Rah, yay, sweet. And then I got home after that great trip, there was a lockdown, shutdown, <laughs> can't even leave your house, let alone leave your country. I had some friends dare text me and say, hey, <clears throat> Tyron, about that release you were talking about. I was like, yeah, well, clearly I'm not a prophet. Never claimed to be a prophet. But let me just say this. In hindsight, we have been released 
from much. And it's certainly not how I expected it or what I expected. But I'm telling you, if you look back to that season, we were all forced, in a sense, to reevaluate and to be released from things in order for God to release us into greater things. We were all running with momentum. We were all running with stuff. We were all running with ministry. We were all running with church stuff. Everybody was doing what everyone was doing because everyone was doing it and it was good. Boom, it was no good. Suddenly, why are we doing what we do? And so I want to tell you that I believe we have had a season of God releasing us from in order to release us into. So, okay, that's great, cool, yeah, okay. The worst year, the best year, who knows? So I dared ask the Father the next season. All right, Lord, 2021. <laughs> What's next? And I thought the Lord said it's going to be a season of effectiveness. How many of you know God is not just about a season of effectiveness? He wants us to always be effective. I believe we were released from in order to be released into to be more effective. I think we've had to relook at much of what we're doing and not question it, but look at the effectiveness. Are we just going to do things for the sake of doing them or do them because this is what everyone else does? Or can't we in God find fresh ways, fresh strategies where there's an effectiveness? Where at times Paul would say, I'm coming to you, but actually a door of effectiveness is opened up here. Or where Paul said, I'm doing this, but God has opened a door here. Or God's doing this here. More looking to what God's doing rather than we doing and hoping God's in it. That is a challenge because kind of we know what we're doing. But suddenly, when we've got to look at what God's doing, it changes everything we do it. And I think that's been part of this season. God never stopped what He was doing through this season. He paused what we were doing to remind us again of what He is doing. And also to remind us that without Him, we cannot do anything. So I do believe we're in the season of effectiveness, and I hope you sensed it, and, and many of us have said, we don't have the momentum physically that perhaps we had, but spiritually, we are in a totally different dynamic, and I want to praise God and say, let that be the testimony till Jesus comes back, that we're not running with physical momentum at the expense of spiritual momentum. Not easy, because we read the books that tell us momentum is the leader's best friend. And suddenly we lost our best friend. But God got us back to being led by the Spirit and we're running with spiritual momentum that must always outpace our physical momentum. Otherwise, we can very quickly get back to being busy with stuff at the expense of kingdom stuff. So I believe we've been in the season of effectiveness. In this next season, deep is gonna be more meaningful than wide. Intimacy will become everything. Forgive me, numbers will mean very little. Still to this day, how do we measure success? How big is your church? How many people came back? How many churches partner with NCMI? It's a numbers thing, and I get that is a measuring stick, but I'm not sure it's his measuring stick. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 8, we've quoted that probably more than ever. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What's he saying? The context there was it's not by the might of your people, not by the size of your army, not by the size of your nation. It will never be enough. You'll never have enough people. Do you hear that? You will never, you could be 10,000 people and you're not enough. God will never allow your number to determine what you can do. Not by might, not by the people. If only the people could come back, if only we could get back to big gatherings, a big this, then we can function in what God has. Not by might, never by might. If you think it's by might, you'll lose those people to show you it's not by might. Nor by power. What's he speaking of? 
He's addressing King Cyrus and he's saying, it's not by your power or your position as king. Your position is not enough. Your people are not enough. Your position is not enough. You hear that, pastors, elders? Ephesians 4 gifts. Our position is not enough. It will never be by your position. But by my spirit. Not a spirit. Not the spirit. My spirit. Intimacy will become everything. Numbers will mean very little. Performances will fail. Fires are rising. Fruitfulness will override results-driven ministry. There is a difference between fruit and results. And the results that we went after are now gone. But the fruit is what stays. Jesus was never result-driven. I don't know, somehow we think he went to go and perform results. He went to reach people and not be result-driven. He wasn't performing for results. He was healing out of compassion. He was revealing to point people toward. And wherever he went was fruitfulness. And fruit that lasts. And that's what the Bible talks about. In John chapter 15, Jesus made it clear, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remember that story? And then he says this, apart from me, you can't do anything. You're wasting your time trying to do anything. But if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will be fruitful. In other words, the byproduct of him and us and us in him is fruit. We don't have to pursue fruit. The byproduct of him and us is fruit. Fruit that lasts. And in actual fact, in John 15, Jesus says, by the fruit of your life, people will know you're my disciples. Most of us talk about the love for one another is the only fruit. No, no. He said, your fruitfulness proves you're my disciple. Not your results, your fruitfulness. So I'm begging and trusting that we won't be results orientated, but we'll look to abundant, abundant fruit, fruitfulness. Back to the original call. Back to Genesis chapter 2. Be fruitful and multiply is what God's called us to. And I believe it's going to be very different to results driven. Radical will thrive and nominal will fall away. Authentic will beat the polished. Prophetic innovation will outstrip religion. And a deeper meaning will rise while old structures will fall down. There's a tearing down of the old and a building up of the new. Get ready for the times are a-changing. Be ready in the changing times. To stick to the plan and purposes of God because His plan has not changed. So I believe we've been in the season of effectiveness. How many of you, put your hand up if you experience effectiveness. Not, not necessarily what you've wanted, but there's an effectiveness about what we're doing now. Put your hand up, please. If you are not, you're missing your season and we'll pray for you. Maybe we're not looking for the fruits of effectiveness. We're just looking for the momentum we used to have. I mean, just so you know, there's more people in this room after COVID than there were before COVID. I don't know how that works. Something happened. And we weren't looking for numbers. Just some of you showed up without registering. We're in trouble, but thank you for coming. <laughs> like 150 of you, thank you very much. You can gladly have my lunch. See. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming. But just look, we didn't advertise you need to be here. We're having this come. Why? Because when you focus on what God's doing, God brings the people. When you focus on what we're doing, we've got to manufacture and make things happen. Something has shifted, friends. We've got to trust, but keep effective. Don't go back to what motivates people. Go back to what God's called us to. So 2022, as I was praying, saying, all right, Lord, what about this season? I felt God say, season of fruitfulness. It's a season of fruitfulness. How many of you experienced some fruit in this season? Just one, two, three, four, great. 
five, six, seven, okay. Who hasn't experienced any fruit? Who's being fruitless? Okay, so you either all have fruit and don't want to talk about it, or you're just embarrassed to be fruitless. But anyway, you're being called to be fruitful. That's the call. So think about that. God released us from in order to release us into, to make us more effective, so we can continue to be more fruitful. So what hinders our effectiveness? And these are obvious things. This is my intro, and I'm not going to get to anything else today, so that's cool. It's obvious things, but I've watched, and I've seen, and I know you've stood the test, and you're here still, but I want to tell you, it's not just hanging and be there, there's effectiveness we're being called to. So what hinders us being effective as leaders? Well, here's a few thoughts. Number one, undermining His divine call. Somehow, the call gets undermined because we value the size rather than the call. We take worldly measures, worldly standards, and we allow those standards to determine how important the divine call really is. I'm trying not... To downplay this, I believe this with all my heart. If you are doing what God has called you to do, there is no greater call. It is divine. And the moment we begin to challenge and question the divine call, we begin to undermine the divine call. And when you undermine the divine call, you're in trouble for being ineffective. Does that, am I making sense? Friends, I'm telling you, the churches here, the pastors representing churches of maybe 50 people. I want to tell you, you are essential. 20 people, essential. 10 people, essential. No people, maybe you've lost them all. But you're here. And you're here because God told you, not because... There's another option for you. This is what you're called to. I'm telling you, friend, we've got to shift our focus to how big back to who called me. Undermining our divine call. I think we've got to keep an ever-present sense of God's divine call and destiny for our lives. I think it's good to ask at times, and not question yourself, but ask who am I? Have you heard you asking those questions? Who am I? I, I, I mean, listen, I'm not questioning who I am. It's good to ask. If I want to know the divine call, ask yourself, who am I? Are you settled in your call? Let me ask you again. We've come through some stuff. We're heading into the next. Have you settled God's call for your life? This is major in order to embrace the future God's intended for us. This has so much ramification for those around us and the people we call to. If we haven't settled what we called to do or who we called to be, then everyone else is going to be a hindrance and intimidate us and we're going to hold them back. Have you settled in your heart who and what God has called you to be and do? And let me ask you, are you doing what he's called you to do? And are you who he's called you to be? In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul introduction to the Ephesian church. And he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus. Paul is who I am. An apostle is what I do. By the will of God is the authority I have. To the church in Ephesus, that's my sphere. Isn't it wonderful that he just settled that? Can you imagine? If we could just settle, this is who I am, this is what I do, this is my authority, he called me to it, and by the way, that's my sphere. In other words, I don't have to fight people for it, I don't have to keep people from it. 
I don't have to worry and sleep bad at night because someone can steal my sphere. Paul, an apostle by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus. Have you settled that? Can you settle that? Will you settle that? Not today, daily. It is essential to stay ever present in the will of God, to stay ever present with the divine call of God. And in doing that, we will not underestimate or uh, undermine this call that God's given us. The only reason we've stayed is because God called us. We've said that. We weren't positioned. We were called. You're still called. Stay called. Keep it ever present through lockdown, shutdown, through online church, inline church, offline church, no church, match church. It's all the same call. You're still called, friend. See, I think laying hold of your call means owning both your potential and your limitations. It's good to know what you can't do. And let me tell you, not all of us can do everything. None of us can do everything. And it's good to know what you are called to. This is my potential. And by the way, these are my limitations. Own it. Be a great leader. Staying true to the call God has. I think another question in this is, who am I in the context of the church? Ask yourself those things. They give you helpful understanding to the divine call. Who am I? Who am I in the context of the church? I'm an elder. What does that mean? Well, I don't know. I have a position. What, great. What to do what? It's good to ask those questions. Who am I in the context of the church? Next question, who are we in the context of the kingdom? Ask yourself those questions. Not just the church. We know who we are in the church, but do we know who we are in the, ki- the kingdom? And they're not the same thing with all due respect. I know that people still want to fight me on this. I'm not wanting to fight anyone. I just can't see how the church is the kingdom. I know we preached that. I was in the U.S. recently. I lived there, but I was preaching there recently. And I preached that, and a guy came to me and said, well, the church is the kingdom. I said, I get what you're saying, but I don't see that. And you say, well, the church is the kingdom. No, no, the church is in the kingdom. The kingdom is in the church, but the church is not the kingdom. Because if the church is the kingdom, well, then you, the pastor, is the king. And just so you know, the church can get shaken, we've just seen. What has stood? The kingdom. Why? Because the church is not the kingdom. So ask, who am I? Who are we in the context of the church? Next question. Who are we in the context of the kingdom? Gives you a big perspective. I don't have to be limited to this one place. And business people, yeah, we've got marketplace leaders here, elders who are working in the real world and the wannabe world called the church. I understand your dynamic. But here's what I want to say. It's all equal if it's in the kingdom. We will celebrate all types. We won't make everyone a pastor or a preacher to be effective in the kingdom. Go and be who God's called you to be. We need kingdom men and women advancing the kingdom for the king. That's your value, doing what he calls you to do, rather than you have to be a pastor or a leader or a preacher on a Sunday. That's why, in the kingdom, not the church. Are you with me? Settle that. And guess what? It's not the same as that person sitting next to you. Praise God. We don't need that person sitting next to you to be like you. We need you to be what he's called you to be so we can get the job done so our king can come back and fully reign in his kingdom. So don't be someone else. Be you. And when you, you, your people will be them. But when you're trying to be someone else, they're going to be someone else because that's just how it works. Who are you in the context of the kingdom? Next one is who am I in the context of the world? Who are we? Kingdom's awesome. World too. We're global friends. We've been called to the world. Kingdom, king, world. We're global. Would you agree? You are global. I know you might have had a bit of lockdown, but you're still global. God's a global God of nations and generations. So I think it's good to ask, who am I? And if you're leading a local church, sit with your elders and ask yourself, who are we in the context of the world? And if you're partnering with NCMI, which I think the majority of you are, you should be asking yourself that question. Who are we in the context of NCMI who's involved with the world? What is our role to play? Because we need you to play your role rather than we come in and play your role. We need to carry our God-given responsibility. 
of playing our role in getting this gospel to the nations of the world. All right, that's enough on that point. Let's move on. Undermining his divine call. I've watched it, friends. Through this season, I've watched pastors come unglued because they've began to question what they're doing, if it even matters. And I'm telling you, you cannot be effective if you've undermined your divine call. You never chose this. He chose this for you. There's nothing else you can do. Remember that. It matters. What you're doing matters in the kingdom. Secondly, what keeps us ineffective in our leadership is being unaware of what God's doing. Can I just say, please don't be distracted by what God's not doing because you can't tell what God is doing. Watching, again, across the world, people be, pastors beginning to get distracted by what God's doing over there and what God's not doing. And I wish He would only do this because we're not able to see what He is doing. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no revelation, the people uh, cast off restraint. Or where there is no vision, the people perish. I love Eugene Peterson's version, the message. When people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what God reveals, they're most blessed. Ignorance is not bliss in the kingdom of God. God wants us to know what He's doing. And what keeps us ineffective is being unaware of what He's doing. And I don't know everything He's doing, but I know this. He wants me to know what He's doing. He wants you, pastors and leaders and followers of Jesus, to know what it is He's doing. And when we don't know what He's doing, we get distracted by the things He's not doing. And we're missing what he's doing now. I said this somewhere, I don't know, forgive me if I said it here. I love my mother-in-law, you know that, right? I really do. She lives interstate from where we are. She visits. We try to set it up that she visits when I'm out of town. There's <laughs> nothing wrong, no issues, just works for them and for me and we're happy. Sorry, I love her dearly. She birthed my wife. I said that, but. Sorry, don't be offended. Come on, calm down. I'm just saying what you want to say. Let's be honest. Ah, I think the wives are, husbands are. Just relax. We're joking. But she's interesting. My mother-in-law's wonderful. But when she comes to visit, I've been home, so I haven't been able to. I've had her visit a couple of times. I'll just have you know she's at my house right now. So anyway, I'm here. But she, uh, she's an awesome lady. But you know, when she, she visits us, what she tends to do is always ask and spend the whole time she's with us wondering when we're going to see her again. So it's like we're here. I'm here for two days, three. I'm here. But when will we see you again? What's the next time I'm coming to visit you? And I'm like, I just want to say, ma'am, we can set up when you're coming back, but you're here now. Why don't you enjoy being here rather than worrying about the next thing? Are you listening? Prophetic leaders. Get me out of this. Get me through this. What's next? What's the next mountain or the next valley? Missing what God's doing now. All the time for the next. Because we don't have, we're not a... We're unable to know what he's doing. So we keep wanting the next thing rather than what he's doing now. Yeah. Let, let's, let's not just make a destination of what we do. How about we realize there's a journey in what we do? You know, I, I have a confession to make. I'm a big believer in finishing the race. And my emphasis has always been I have to finish the race and finish it. And I think it's in the Bible, absolutely. But I also realize if you only finished concentrating on crossing that line one day and finishing the race, you're going to miss the other side of your ministry called completing the tasks. We need some finishes. We're great starters. I was told by a psychologist, someone, I don't go to those people. Okay, Marie Bailey, all right, she is whatever she is. 
And she told me, you're a finisher. I said, how do you know? She said, because your eyebrows, eyebrows go to the end. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> so just look at each other and you can see if you've got a short eyebrow, you're, not, you're a good starter, but you're a bad finisher. So if your eyebrows are short, listen, please. Check, everyone's looking at each other's eyebrows, trying to make them as long as you can, eh? Yeah. Yeah, you. I don't believe that. It's not in the Bible, so don't worry, eh? <laughs> I shaved my nose. How's that, bro? Okay, don't forget the point. I've got to eat. I relax. Okay. And so, hey, we're all about starting. We're all about making things happen, but we're not good at finishing. And COVID was a good idea. We all wanted to move on. Okay, that's all over. Let's move on. But there's some unfinished business. God doesn't want us just to move on. There's stuff he still wants us to complete. And when Paul writes to the, uh, calls for the Ephesus elders in Acts chapter 20, and he calls them together, and he says this, Be, uh, share, uh, keep watch over yourselves, and the flock to which I've called you, an over, the Holy Spirit's made you an overseer. Remember that? I believe keeping watch over yourself is what helps you finish your race. But I believe keeping watch over those you've been called to oversee helps you complete tasks. So finish your race, but complete some tasks. And I feel for effectiveness, we've got to get better at completing tasks, not just running our race. There's a work to do in all seasons, not to get through the season, for God's doing things in that season. What is He doing? Complete that task before you run for the next thing. Next point, number three, keep us ineffective, unable to hear God. Being unable to hear God. So I said prayer is dialogue, not monologue. Effective prayer is listening to God as well as speaking to God. As I talked already, I already covered this. We tell God, but we need to hear God. We're still going to do the hearing God thing till we see God. Till we stand before Him, we want to hear Him. We're not going to do away with the hearing God thing. I hope you're not doing away with the hearing God thing. I've used the illustration. We're pastors and leaders. And part of what we used to be, some of you were part of us before, asked me a question many years ago. So what are you guys doing next? And I was like, well, we're trying to hear God. And then literally this is what they said. Oh, you still do the hearing God thing. I nearly fell out of my chair. I said, what, you don't? They go, oh, well, you know. No, I don't know. Tell me. We still do the hearing God thing. You still should be doing the hearing God thing. More than ever, because we're hearing so many things but God. You want to be effective. You want to stay effective. Hear God. Do your best to hear Him. Not presume. Not listen to others. Not see what others are doing. Hear Him. A.W. Tozer said, The one who does not expect God to speak will discount every single time that God does speak. I think with the arrival of social media, we love to hear our own voices more than we listen for the voice of God. And let me remind you, leaders, it's hard to hear the voice of God. It's hard to hear God speak when you've already determined what you want God to say. I know this sounds weird, but I've gone back to saying, I don't want to ask God for permission for anything. I want God to give me direction. God, I'm going to do this. Is that okay? No, God, tell me what to do. Because I kind of think if you're going to tell God, I want, I'm going to do this, give me an okay. It's kind of, I want to do my thing and I hope you're with me. But when you get direction, you're like, I'm doing what God's called me to do. I'm with God. Remember that story of Joshua when he's going to take out the most fortified city, no way in, no way out. Remember that story? And he's standing there looking at Jericho going, how are we going to do this? And there's this dude, man, standing there with a sword. I mean, interesting. I mean, you're about to take a city and there, and there is a man with a sword. Interesting. 
It's a brave leader he is. He walks up to the, the dude and he says, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I obviously don't recognize you, but uh, are you with them or with us? Good question, I guess. Should I fight you or are you with me? I, I, I love the response. Neither. Neither. It's like a politician. What are you saying? <laughs> Think about that. Neither. What kind of answer is that? Neither. State your claim with me or them. Neither. And then he makes out and he says, listen, I'm not here to choose sides. I'm here to take over. This is not your battle. This is not their battle. This is my battle. In other words, you're on my side. I'm not on your side. Remember that. We kind of go before us. You can be against us. God is with us. No, no, we are with God. God's not with us. I'm with Him. I want to know I'm with Him, not God's backing me. I'm on His side. I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. This is my battle. Who are you? We realize then, this, is the, this isn't an angel. This is the Lord. He falls to his knees and worship. He was an angel. He said, don't worship me. I'm an angel. He worshiped. And this is what he said. What? He said, I'm here as the commander of the Lord's army. I'm the commander. You're on my side. Remember? And he said, well, what's the command? And you know what it is? Take off your shoes, fall to your knees and worship. That's the command from heaven. Strange. Very strange, but he did it because he realized this is not my thing. This is not my choice. It's his. And the awesome command from the army of heaven is worship me. And then he gets this wonderful revelation. You march around it and I'll make it fall. You're not going to get that without being on your knees worshiping. It's not going to come out of a strategy on how to take a city. And just so you know, it worked once only for Jericho. They did not try that again for the next city. It was a one-off strategy from heaven, and we've tried to develop a theology of that's how you do it. You're missing the point of the story. That's not how you do it. How you do it is on your knees asking him for strategy for the next thing. Next point keeps us ineffective is our unwillingness to do what he says. <laughs> it's awesome to hear God. Come on. Don't you love hearing God? Oh, he spoke, but not with a suggestion. We're kind of like, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. Selective. Sort of said that, but didn't really say that. <sighs> Why ask God to speak if we don't do what he says? I was in a meeting when we finally, America opened up years, quite a while ago, and we were almost back to our first meetings again. I'm going to tell you, it was like, oh, never going to do the online thing again. I'm done with online. And we were just in this meeting. It was wonderful. Everyone was so happy to be together. Worship, man, I'm telling you, it was another level. The, so, the declaration, it was wonderful. And I was at the back of the meeting. I saw literally everyone from the stage to the back front on their knees singing and worshiping. People's declaration, they're reading the book of Revelation and the revelation of Jesus and woe to me, you know, all that. And I'm like, oh, this is heaven. This is what heaven's going to be like. I remember saying, feeling in my spirit, oh, God, oh, Jesus, you must be so pleased. I'm so pleased by what I'm saying. You must be so pleased. And I, I wasn't even thinking of it. I felt the Lord remind me of Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. And then he unpacks how silly that is. It's like you've been shaken, you're building on the wrong foundation. can have these great moments, and we need them, friends, and we need to have these great times together of worshiping, and this morning, we could have gone on, I'm glad, God, I'm glad Marcus stopped it, because I was not going to stop it, you're saying to, to honor me, I appreciate that, but I want to say, we need those moments together, we need those moments, but here's the deal, what happens when we get up and walk out the doors after this sovereign Lord, Lord tells us to do something and we go back to what we want to do, but we've had this moment of bliss with him. It's not a step on your toes. Don't call him Lord, Lord if you don't do what he says. 
I was shocked by that scenario that we had. I didn't dare take the microphone and tell everyone on their knees, by the way, what happens when you leave this meeting? But the Lord was looking going, this is wonderful. But don't call me Lord if you don't do what I say. Another one, what makes us ineffective in our leadership? You ready? Unmet expectations. Have you heard of that? Have you had that? I think through COVID, we've all had that at another level, right? Hands up if you have not experienced unmet expectations. The only reason you've experienced unmet expectations is because you have no expectations. <laughs> Honestly, this is rampant today, even coming through a season like this. And I have to tell you this because I feel like God wanting you to settle some of this this morning. There's some unmet expectations. There's some stuff that has happened or not happened that has caused us to take offense. Very hard to run and lead God's people and be effective if you're carrying an offense. Because of unmet expectation. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. How do you be effective with a sick heart? But it goes on and says, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. How many of you know it's a season of fruitfulness, season of effectiveness. Needs, we need trees of life. Meaning hearts have to be challenged and brought life to because of the Sick hearts of deferred hope. It's easy in ministry, friends, because we have our expectations on people and situations, even with God, maybe. Let's be honest. God, you did not tell me this. God, what about this? And God, what about that? And some of you have lost people, literally, not from your church, who've passed away, family members. I mean, I don't know how to even how to, but there's this hope deferred. And I'm not trying to be insensitive, but I do feel unmet expectation will continually hinder the effectiveness of what God's called us to do in ministry. And we all carry it. Here's some phrases taken from various verses that speak directly to how to wait. Put your hand up if you love to wait. I hate waiting on anything. My eyebrows, okay, cheese, bro, whatever. <laughs> but I want to tell you, these phrases that I've taken from some scriptures have really helped encourage me. I haven't learned this, I'm learning. Very nervous to say I've learned anything. God will test what I know. They give me great encouragement. When you wonder what God is doing or why it's not answering your prayers, these commands from scripture will bolster you with the comfort of hope. You ready for some? Wait in expectation. Psalm 27, 14. Psalm 33, 20. Another one is be strong. Psalm 27, 14. Take heart. Psalm 27, 14. Trust. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Do not rely on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Acknowledge him. Proverbs 3 verse 6. Don't be afraid. Psalm 27 verse 3. Be still. Psalm 37 verse 7. Be diligent. Proverbs 21 verse 5. Lay requests before him. Psalm 5, verse 3, not on the internet, not on social media, not to your people, not to your spouse, not to your children, not to your parents, not to your elders, not to your translocal team, to Him. Lay your requests before Him. Delight in Him. Psalm 37, verse 4. Commit your plans to the Lord. Proverbs 16, verse 3. 
And don't wear yourself out. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Hope deferred has made your heart sick, my heart sick. And we need to adjust and come back to some trees of life. Because God has some longings to fulfill that are God longings, not ours. But it's been easy through the season, I think, to carry some of that pain we're not called to carry. The next one, I want to land this before lunch so I don't have to come back to this tomorrow. What causes us to be ineffective is underlying issues or unresolved hurts. Not, this is not unmet expectation. There are underlying issues and unresolved hurts. That if you're honest, there's a cycle. Let's be honest, friends. I can see it in some. I'm sure you can see it in some. And we can see it in ourselves. But it's like the same thing comes round and around and around. And I don't even try dare tell you what that is or even try and step on your toes to say get over it. But what I do want to say, if it's unresolved, it's going to keep coming back. Unresolved hurts and underlying issues, that these issues rear their ugly head again and again and again. I believe God can deliver us from those things in this room today. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe God wants to, and I believe you want God to do that, but you've got to give it to God. See, hurt people, they hurt people. Wounded leaders are not helpful leaders. Bitterness, as we all say, is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. We preach that, yet we're drinking poison all the time as leaders. Secondhand offense is worse, I think, than firsthand. Most people with firsthand offense seem to get healed. Secondhand offense... No one gets healed. I know people that I've never met that don't like me. Isn't that amazing? I'm serious. I've never met them. They've never said one word to me, but they don't like me because of someone else's hurt. And that someone else is my best friend. But that other secondhand person who's never met me is offended and drinking poison. It can happen, friends. Maybe you're carrying secondhand. Maybe no one hurts you, but maybe even hurt by how someone else hurt someone else. It's as bad, if not worse. You're drinking poison and you're ineffective in ministry. We've got to come to the Lord and forgive. Can't live with poison inside of us and not expect it to eventually do harm to us and to others. Next one. Keeps us ineffective. It's unfulfilled in your call and your walk. Are you listening? I know there's always more. I know God is a God of more. I know that we're not called to settle. I get all those truths and things we immediately go to when I say this. I go there too. But if you are unfulfilled in your call and your walk, then you're in danger of an unholy restlessness. And what we love about being part of this thing God's called us to, it's a pioneering thing, and it's all about the next thing. And we can so easily take unholy restlessness and call it apostolic. Never settle, never happy, always want the next, always got to go to the next. I mean, it's in our DNA because that's what Jesus said, and that's what Genesis 12 says, and that's what Acts and we can quote scripture, but there's holy restlessness and there's unholy restlessness. And holy restlessness is I'm trusting for more and I'm never going to settle. Unholy restlessness is I'm not happy, I'm not fulfilled, I need the next thing to give me the next thing. And I'm going to keep on taking whatever I can, stepping out of God's will, stepping into the next, not being faithful where I am in order to get the next thing. Am I making sense? easy for me, us, leaders, to always be moving to the next. I think so much of today's lack is a result of an unfocused yesterday. 
Completed obedience, please hear this. Completed obedience establishes a generational echo. We've got to complete and finish and complete it Obedience. It, it has ramifications for those who've yet to be born. Generations need you and I to complete in obedience what God's called us to complete. And I'm, ca- I'm careful not to put anything on us, but I'm telling you, friends, if it's unholy, we're losing what God has for us. We've got to settle. Is this unholy or unholy? We can tell if we just begin to ask God. He'll let it, make it clear. I mean, it's for older people, but it's also for some of the youth, the younger guys. I mean, young guys just want to keep moving. And it's like that whole thing, if your grass is greener on the other side, perhaps you need some watering of your grass where you're at. It's like this prophetic thing. That's where I'm headed. Just read Scripture and realize that right through Scripture, God found faithful people serving faithfully where they were, not people who are looking for the next thing. Every time God picks someone in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, Moses was not looking to be the deliverer king or leader. He was taking care of the sheep, and God gave him a burning bush experience. Found him where he was being faithful. Joshua was not looking to take over from Moses. Move over, old man, my time. God said, Joshua will take over from Moses because Joshua served faithfully in Moses' time. David, I mean, come on. I mean, if I had time, I would have preached because I'm stirred with this truth about David, King David. I find it fascinating. And I think the biggest challenge leaders face, people face, is the difference. There's a thing from call to commission. There's a little word in between called consistency. Most who are called never fulfill and walk in the full commission because they are not consistent through the season from call to commission. And David is the great proof of being faithful from being called king. 1 Samuel 16, you know the story. God chose Saul and then God rejected Saul. And he said, this is the king and he said, this is not the king because of the Issues and character flaws of Saul. You know the story, right? God chose Saul, not man. God did. And did God make a mistake? Please say no, because if he did, he would not be God. He did not make a mistake. He chose the right guy, but the right guy became the wrong guy by the right guy's response to what God gave him. And so God said, how long? He said to Samuel, how long will you mourn? the one that I've rejected. Stop mourning what I've said no to. Go to Jesse's house and one of his sons are going to be the king. You remember the story? So he walks in there and Jesse, everyone's fearful, everyone's freaking out, the elders are shaking, here's the man of God. He walks in and says, where are your sons? Lines them up. Surely he's, surely, you know the story, go through the whole list. Eventually he's like, hang on, have you got another son? Like, the guy's not here. Oh, yeah, you know, that I actually do. Yeah, come to think of it. Yeah, there's one. I mean, seriously, this is, ah, of course, David. But I mean, he's the youngest, and he's taking care of the sheep. Probably a good idea. That's why, faithfully serving, while the rest are prancing around to be king. Bring him in. So he comes in. He's like, what's going on here? I'm clearly Mr. Party. And then the Lord says, this is the guy. This is the guy. Who said that? God. This is it. Man looks at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. So, oh, wonderful. So David comes in and they anoint him as king. He's king of Israel. This is God's anointed. But he doesn't become king. He goes back to being the shepherd boy. Straight back as king, as the call, go take care of the sheep. Isn't that amazing? Called to be king, not commissioned to be king. And so he goes back, and now he could be like, geez, why am I taking care of this sheep? My brothers are going to bow before me. I'm the new king. My dad overlooked me. What the heck? No, he's faithful. (laughs) Serving. Remember? And then God's like, I'm going to create an opportunity for people to begin to see the calling 
but I need David to be faithful in every season so I can give him that commission that I've promised. So Saul's looking for a worship leader because he can't do it himself. So, hey, we know someone. Who? David, bring him in. Plays his worship and he's like, gee, promotion. David, uh, Jesse sends David, the king, to take food to his brothers, serve his brothers. They are at a battle where he's not allowed to be because he's the shepherd boy, but he's the king. So he could show up and say, you know, guys, you know what happened back there, right? Do you remember that? I'm going to play the game, but you know who the king is. Come on. <laughs> Arrogance. Oh, come on. Let's be think about this. His brothers were jealous of him. They're like, what, what are you doing here? And he's like, what have I done now? Clearly they took issue he was going to be the king. He brings the food. He shouldn't have been there, but he was there. And he sees the whole army not fighting because they're scared of one man. He walks up and he says, like, listen, with all due respect, what's going on here? What will be given to the one who takes this guy out? And they're like, well, who's going to do that? Well, I could Lion, bear, no one saw that, me and the Lord. Not for everyone to see, for me to see. Lion, bear, this guy, uncircumcised Philistine, will take him out. You know the story, right? Well, put on my armor. Can't do that. Take your look. Go take him out. What's God saying? Okay, others begin to see it. Now the nation's seeing it. Now, and then Saul got so jealous. You know the story. And, and then people said to him, hey, if you just take out Saul, I mean, here he is, just pst, kill him. We could take him so easy. No one likes Saul. He's a disgrace. We could take him right now. Because consistently God called me, God will give it to me. But my job is to be consistently serving even in Saul's army, Saul's house, Saul's kingdom, even though it's my kingdom. It's a, it's a radical story. You know the story, right? Carries on. Eventually, Saul dies. He gets killed. Interesting how there was no celebration from David. Praise God, I'm here. Watch out, old man. New way. I'm here. The anointed, I'm at. It says that he lament, lamented and wept. And his cry was, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Didn't really revel in someone else's death. He mourned the death of Saul who hated David. And then it's now his time. So fortunately, he inquires of the Lord. Shall I go up to Jerusalem? I mean, that's the obvious. You're now the king. Go take your throne. The Lord says, no, go up to Hebron. One twelfth of your inheritance. Don't go take it all. Take it there. So then he goes there. Eventually, I don't know. I don't know how many years. I hear different 15 years at least from the calling in that room in front of his father and his brothers, from the call of God. You are the next king to when he became the full king. 15 years or so. How many of you know that if he was not consistent in the context where God allowed him to be, God could not have given him the full commission. Oh, I'm called, but it's taking longer than I expected. Therefore, I'm going to begin to take things into my own hands. I'm going to begin to do my thing, or I'm going to begin to settle in what was rather than what it's supposed to be. And there's one thing that we have to focus on in and through all seasons, because there's more for everyone in this room. We keep claiming. But it means you've got to be consistent where you're serving, where God has you now. Because God will not allow unholy restlessness to become what He's called us to be. He can only allow holy restlessness. It keeps us moving in what He has for us rather than us getting frustrated and messing it up. Oh, dear. We need to complete obedience for the sake of generations behind us. We have to complete what God's given us to do. You know legacy? Legacy is the outcome of focused investment. You want a legacy? It's the outcome of a focused investment. Invest with focus to have a legacy. 
And the last point is under how we lose our effectiveness is undermining his power to our response. Undermining his power to our response. You know, I think sometimes we feel like it really doesn't matter how we respond or if we respond. It doesn't really matter. It does matter from Scripture. I don't understand it fully, but it would seem if you read Scripture, and again, I've gone back to the Word of God as much as I can in everything, and it always seems that God needs people to respond to what He's doing. God doesn't need anyone. God chooses to use everyone. But He will not do things without us. And I wish he would, because, I mean, it would be a lot easier. But right through, he wants to partner with us. It's the greatest partnership. And our 1%, if even that, mixed with his 99%, makes it 100%. He got, he's got 100%, it's, but he's not going to use his 100% because he wants our 1%. And it blows my mind. What a waste of time. Like, why is it that feeding the 5,000, we knew that Jesus had to do it, but Jesus didn't do it because he wanted those guys to bring what they had first. Bring your five loaves and two fish now. You brought what you've got, your 0%, 0.5%. Now watch. Thank you, Lord, for what we have. Boom, there it is. Let's go. Bring yours. And so I, I just, I sense, like I always watch, people just fob off what God says and, and ignore the challenges and dealings of God. And I realize we're undermining what God wants to do in effectiveness if we don't respond to what He says. He'll find someone else. But right through Scripture, God was looking for people to respond. And when they respond, that's when He responds. Don't underestimate his power to our response. Our response matters to him. Our heart shift, our adjusting, our preaching, our leading, our act, whatever it be, God's looking for people who will say yes. I think someone said yesterday, I think it was Heidi got up here and said, we need to be a people who say yes before we know what we're saying yes to. You can't do that with anyone except him because you can trust him. But it's got to be what he wants, not what you want. And somehow we mix the two. God gives me the desires of my heart. He didn't say that. He gives you the desires of his heart because his heart is your heart. So you better be careful when I mix the two and step out in presumption saying God said. When God might not have said, we want God to say. But when he said it, we got to activate it. And I think effectiveness will be the absolute result which will result in fruitfulness if we just contend for some of these things in our own ministries and lives and leadership. And I believe it will be way fruitful with those around us. Can we stand together? I don't know. Time flies when I stand in this place. I have no idea what it is. In this pulpit, time flies. It's horrible. Stop the time, please, Lord. If he could do it for Joshua, he could do it for us, right? I'm joking. I know he won't. He said he wouldn't do it again. I know. Okay. Let's just, again, close our eyes. We're going to go eat again. Fancy that. But I'm not going to be preaching this afternoon, so good news, stay, please. We're going to have some good feedback and other great things. So I just want to make sure we kind of settle this so tomorrow we can go somewhere else if that's okay. If you need to respond, friend, to any of what's been said this morning, and again, any of these things in the second session, I don't want to go through the list. If you know that God's actually spoke, just, just let's close our eyes. Lift your hands to heaven. Let's, let's just do some dealings right now before we get distracted with our food. Thank you, Lord. Maybe just where you are with your hands raised, which ultimately the most of us, if not all of us, have our hands. Would you just do, you do your dealings with him? You don't need me to do that for us. Just talk to him. Tell him what it is and forgiveness and repent and turn, whatever you need. Just, let's just take that minute and speak to your father.
Father, these are your men and women, sons and daughters, servants, friends, handpicked from heaven for such a time as this. Chosen by God himself. Called by God himself to lead the people that Jesus purchased with his blood. And their value is not in their ministry. Their value is in their relationship with you. I pray today for all of us in this room that what needs to shift will shift. What needs to stay will stay. Where there has been hardened hearts through the pain and leading of God's people, would you soften our hearts afresh this morning? where we've been shut off to things because of bad experience, would you unlock those things again in our lives? Where we've questioned the wrong, with the wrong questions, would you give us the right question? Where we've listened to others at the expense of listening to you, would you silence those voices? Help us to hear your voice louder than everything. May we not guess our way forward, but may you make it pretty clear in the steps we take in this season, not just focusing on the next season. Help us see what you're doing and help us effectively partner better with you, God, and see the fruit and the results that bring eternal fruit and ultimately glory to you. And I pray these things are settled, unmet expectations, we forgive. Today we forgive. We choose to forgive them, those, and maybe even you, God. We don't understand this, but no longer are we holding things, bitterness in our hearts. Please, Lord, today, no more underlying issues, no unresolved issues, sorted in this room as we give it to you. Take it from us. Remove it out of us. We want to be effective. We thank you that we do not ask in vain. We receive in promise. This is your desire for us, and we say, yes, Lord. We ask and we receive, and we bless you, King Jesus. Now we go and eat we ask your blessing over this food and thank you for your amazing provision. And Lord, bless these people who are feeding us and bless everyone involved in this and keep us safe, Lord, through this. Keep us connected and protected. But keep us connected to the thing you're doing and we're grateful for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. amen.